Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today. You guys are going to love the content. We are in the leadership and personal development space with my new friend, Alan Hunkins. I hope I got it. I almost got it right. I was so close. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Oh, Justin, Justin, it is great to talk with you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, hey, I am so glad that you're here. Right. No, it's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, it is so great to have you on today. Um, you are the author of Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. Um, I just can't even wait to unpack this, but um, I did my homework on you before the podcast today, of course. And there, I found some amazing things, right? You, and you've been in this space for a while before you even wrote this book. But if I rewind the clock all the way back, you started back in school, right? You did postgraduate work at the National Shakespeare Conservatory. Uh, you earned, you went on to earn your MFA in acting performance from University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, and then you jump into professional theater. So how does how do you go from that to kind of a, a really known person in the leadership development space? Yeah, kind of a strange, strange journey for sure. And you know what's interesting? There's a total common theme. I'm a huge believer that leadership is a performing art. And like, where better to cut your teeth than put yourself under the microscope? Because really, if you think anyone who's interested in leadership development has to be interested in personal development because you can't separate the two out. And so for me, I've always been fascinated by people. I studied psychology in undergrad as well. So what makes people tick? And if you look at what actors have to learn how to do is they have to get inside the skin of a character, literally, and understand what drives and motivates them so that they can bring this drama to life. And if you do it well, there's so much skill to creating authenticity, which is this weird paradox, right? It's this complete contrivance, but you have to make it seem completely normal and natural and authentic, which is in some ways what leaders have to do, right? We have to do that, be super intentional and focused and planned and yet at the same time, people go, ah, oh, they're, so, they're so spontaneous. They're so authentic, such a great leader. And so it's this wonderful paradox. So for me, I was really, the reason I got into the theater in the first place, I'm a bit of an idealist. And so I felt that when people come away from a great work of art, whether it's a movie or a piece of theater, is that you walk away changed. And I really felt that. And that's why I went into the theater in the first place. What I found was the practical day-to-day of the business didn't do that to the direct impact that I wanted to have. And then I moved into doing arts and education teaching. I was doing HIV AIDS education work with an off-Broadway theater company. We were doing residencies at Rikers Island, the big prison in New York City. I was working at drug rehab centers. We were working with junior high schools and high schools. And this is where I learned to work with groups. And I went, wow, the impact I'm having is so much stronger. And then a friend of mine said, have you ever thought about working with businesses? I said, businesses? No. He said, and he said, anyway, he said, anyway, long story short, he said, why don't you check out this company? And I ended up working with this company and realizing, you know what? Business people are people too. And realizing there was a real need to bring these skills of the performing arts, as well as what I found beyond the study of leadership to people because in my mind, leadership isn't a job title. Leadership is a state of being. In fact, anytime that any one of us want to try to influence anyone else, 
to get something done, that's leadership. And so we're all leading every day and we wear various hats. And like I said, it's a role. You put it on. So you might be the leader in your family or with your friends or at work or at school or with your sports team or with your orchestra. So the question is, how can you be the best performing artist you can. So that's how the transition worked from one place to the other. Yeah, that was when I got the information on your book and and some of your bio and whatnot. One of the things I found interesting was your background. It is unique and different than I'll call a lot of other, you know, uh, leadership experts or people that play in this space. How did you know it was working? Like when you had that person say, "Hey, have you thought about working with businesses?" How did you know? How did you know that your unique spin was working? What was it, what were the things that you saw that really resonated? Well, so for me, the first place I started working in organizations, I worked for a company, it still exists, and I'm still affiliated with them loosely, is a company called Eagles Flight based in Canada. And they do a lot of experiential management and leadership training. And what that means, experiential, fancy word for experience, right? (laughs) Basically, they create these really cool, complex games that people do, they play. And at the end of the, the game, and the game is all linked to real-world relevance. At the end of it, we would debrief the experience and ask, how does this relate to you back in your job? So it had this real creative component where we were sort of role-playing, but it was very exciting and dynamic. And I was the leader of that. So it combined a lot of my theatrical background with the business background. And as soon as I started doing this, the feedback from myself and from others was like, oh my gosh, this is like a hand in a glove. Like You belong here. This is this was such a great combination of all my skill sets because I'm also really interested in systems and how to make things better and personal effectiveness. And if you think about it, I mean, every business, no matter what industry you're in, we're all trying to figure out something, right? There's a problem to be solved and then a goal to be achieved. And I'm fascinated by that. So picking up the business side was actually in some ways the easiest part of all this. Um, so for me, the shift really became, oh, this is about leadership. And then when I realized that leadership is this performing art, that's when I went on this quest to keep studying and learning how can I help people to do that better. That's interesting. And okay, this is this is a little off topic than from your book, but I'm just curious to get your take. So when you're out working with leaders, is there an element of training or development in the acting space or in, in the kind of artistic space that you recommend to leaders to, to bring out something in them? Or is it something that, you, you, you know, that you're bringing that's unique? No. I mean, the fact is, I think that there are a lot of things that for leaders, you know, because the thing is, this is, when I say it's a performing art, leadership doesn't exist on the page, right? It, it exists in real time, in real life with people. And in fact, most people are doing most of their leading in meetings, whether that's a one-on-one or with a group. I mean, that's what you're really, that's when you're tested. And so for me, in terms of places that people can grow and improve, I mean, certainly I get people up and, and leading meetings and I'm giving them coaching and feedback because, you know, we can sit around and read books about leadership and, and sure. books are fine. Look, I wrote one. I can't knock it completely. Right. But, but, you know, in terms of really making the impact, you have to decide for yourself what action are you going to take. No so question. for me, I often like if leaders say like, you know, you know, I'm just not that comfortable getting up in front of groups and I'm a little scared of public speaking. I'm like, have you heard of Toastmasters? Because you know, Toastmasters right. is the world's largest not-for-profit. And there's probably a meeting going on in this building sometime this week. I mean, because it's they're everywhere, right? You can go to your bathroom, you'll find a Toastmasters meeting going on. Um, <laughs> you know, so the fact is they're everywhere. And so the question is not a question of, do, you, are, do the tools exist? The tools exist. The question is, are you willing to commit your time and your effort 
to getting better. You know, it's interesting. A lot of the research that I've done has shown that only about 23% of people think their leaders lead well, which to me is a shockingly, shockingly low number. And I, you know, but if I think we had a room of a hundred leaders and said, how many do you think that you are mediocre? I don't think (laughs) anyone would raise, no one's going to raise their hand. So the question is, it's really easy that when you're, once you're in that quote unquote position of power, right? That, that authority position, are you really willing to do the work to become better? Because leadership quality isn't judged by you. It's judged by the people you lead. So it's, it's those rare few that are the self-starters that are willing to go, I want to keep getting better because I know it's the right thing to do. Because not only is it going to serve the people I lead better, but when they perform better, guess what? I get better results too. So it's sort of taking, taking the long term. But let's I face it, that. humans, we're lazy by nature. So we, we don't do <laughs> these things. Well, the, I guess it's an opportunity to differentiate yourself, right? Um, one of the, I was, again, you know, as I was getting some setup for your book, uh, I read this, this quote. It's disturbingly common for people to work in organizations with bad leaders. Feedback from employees shows that seek feedback from employees show they seek a new type of leader, better equipped to navigate the complexity and pace of our digital 21st century. Leaders who know how to lead from purpose, connect with empathy, communicate with authenticity, and collaborate with transparency. I, I as I read that, I was like, that seems so simple and yet it's so true and and so many organizations struggle to either move out their bad leaders or even recognize that they have them have you seen that in the companies you've worked with yeah i see this all the time <laughs> how totally does this just, happen? how do bad oh, leaders get into senior roles well, I'll, I'll i'll explain through a story so this has to do with my kids so i have a t- two kids my son alex is now 16 and my daughter miranda is 13 so this took place about 10 years ago so they're six and three. And the two of them, as little kids will do, they're kind of goofing off in the living room. They are getting extremely loud, extremely loud. And I have to confess, I got a bit triggered in the moment. And I stopped and I said to them, would you stop behaving like children? Now, I tell you this story for two reasons. Number one, that is a ridiculous thing to say. They were six and three. They were children. So what the heck was I saying that? And number two, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I was in shock because would you stop behaving like children was the exact phrase that my mom <laughs> used to use with my brother and me when we were kids. Stop and behaving I was like, oh my like gosh. children. <laughs> totally, totally. And here's the thing is like without realizing it, I had unconsciously copied the behavior of the previous generation. So to go back to your question, why do we lead the way we do? I think so many of us unconsciously copy the behavior of the leaders that we've been around and they copied their leaders and they copied their leaders. So my quest went, who started this chain? Who started this chain of mediocrity? Right. Well, I, I did some research and it's all in the book. A guy named Frederick Winslow Taylor, who is considered the father of the field of management. Now, this is 1905, 19, his book, his big book, Principles of Scientific Management came out in 1911. So to place this, you got to realize 95% of the workforce were in the factory doing manual repetitive labor on an assembly line. So by background, Taylor was a mechanical engineer. So he saw the workplace as this mechanical engineering problem to be solved. So he wasn't exactly what we'd call a people person at all. In fact, if you know the term, we all use it, human resources. Well, before Taylor, we used to call them human, we used to call them human beings, right? We were human beings, but we became these parts, human resources. Yeah, in fact, I mean, there are some sections of this book, Principles of Scientific Management, that will make your jaw drop. As I'll tell you this one. 
how he described the ideal worker. Now I'm quoting this because I could not make this up. So Taylor said the ideal worker should be, quote, so stupid that he more nearly resembles in his mental makeup the ox than any other type, end quote. <laughs> I mean, you know, so here's wow. the thing. So it's I mean, so this whole idea and one of his big disciples was Henry Ford, who founded the Ford Motor Company. You know, Ford famously said of his employees, why is it every time I want a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? Right? So back in the industrial age beginning days of Ford and Taylor, the value proposition at work was very clear. It was leaders, command and control, employees, shut up and comply. And it's amazing how that mindset has permeated and got, even though it is painfully, painfully out of date right now, because clearly that is not the world that we're living in. I mean, the world is going so much faster. I mean, Henry Ford, when they were making the Model T, they had that same exact model on the assembly line for 27 years. They did not make a different type of car. You know, nothing lasts for 27 years. I mean, we're making new models twice. A year. Look at how often they put out a new iPhone, for example. And the, <laughs> right. I mean, so we need, so the thing is, so I always coach leaders, say, look, if you want to change the future, you need to know where you come from. And that this command and control is in our bones and it leaks out sideways constantly. I mean, anytime that you get into the, I got to get these things done. I mean, one of the biggest challenges to being that leader who leads with purpose and connects with empathy and communicates with authenticity is patience. Right? If you think about it, I mean, sure. taking time to really build a human relationship takes time. Human relationships happen at the speed of matter. But, you know, our digital age Emails, everything happens at the speed of light. Right. And so, and we're all busy. You know, we, I've, I've got a full plate. I mean, the common conversation is, how's your week? Oh, it's busy. I'm crazy busy. <laughs> Harry, I'm busy. I'm nuts busy. I'm like, yeah, I don't think you can keep saying that if it's every week. Right. That's the new, that's that's the new normal. Say. That's right. It's yeah, the, they it's say the all quo. the yeah. time. And so what's so weird to me is if you stop and think about it, yeah, I, I get it. Like your plate is full and you've got results to deliver. However, Driving for results shouldn't come at the expense of driving over the people that are trying to help you to deliver those results, right? So it's this leadership wisdom, like when do you go fast and when do you go slow? Because I'm not suggesting, you know, people sometimes tell me like, oh, this sounds so soft and fluffy. You're saying empathy. I'm like, look, we are not running a not-for-profit group therapy training right. here to sit around and like spend your day talking about how you're feeling. However, the science of high performance says that if you take just a minute or two to check in with people sure. and ask them how they are feeling, it actually frees up their central nervous system so they're more relaxed and can show up and do better work. Wow. So there's science behind this. So no realizing question. how do you understand the soft side of the business so that you can enable the hard side and get those results done. And to me, it's not an either or, it's a both and, which is why, going back to your original question, why is this so challenging? Because sure. we tend to see these things as mutually exclusive when in Got fact and they're both and, together. and there's so much to, and there's so much to learn there's so much to learn and, and we're all working at it right of course so and obviously your book came out of all of your different work so cracking the leadership code three secrets to building strong leaders and some of what i just read <clears throat> links directly into your book right and you've got a master keys framework so talk about um what led up to writing the book and then let's jump into these three secrets that we got to yes ooh, ah, yes i know ooh, the secrets ooh, ah, ooh, ah, yeah. standing by for three secrets coming soon <laughs> sure uh, 
<laughs> I love it. So yeah. So what led to the book? It's funny because some people say, oh, so how long did it take you to write the book? And I like, I, I half jokingly say, oh, it's taken me my whole life. Right. Because um, in, in some ways, this book is not something I sat down and wrote. The book in some ways wrote itself. What I mean by that is I've always been interested in writing and I didn't do it. Like a lot of people, I think. I didn't do it for years. And I had this great mentor who gave me these profound words of wisdom. He said, Alain, writers write. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's right. Writers do write. Or just put and down so, notes. Start. Just start. Yeah, so, right? ex exactly. That's exactly what I did. So in 2011, I didn't write a book. I said, I'm going to start a blog. You know, a lot of exactly. us. Exactly. So, so, and I got to say, the first two starts. years, the blog was garbage. I mean, but yeah. I was doing it, and it was all over the place. But it took me about two years to find my voice. And then 2013, I started publishing every Saturday, once a week, a 500 to 800 word article. And I did not miss a Saturday for over three years. I love it. And so what I ended up doing is I had all this content I had generated. And then I went back and started looking at what are the common themes? Because the blog at the time was called The Business of Behavior, which is very broad, right? It could be about sure. anything, really. And so I started going back and looking at, and I saw these core themes come out. And the core themes became what are now the three secrets to building strong leaders. And those are connection, communication, and collaboration. So those are the three secrets, which again, as you're hearing them now, you're going, hello, that's common sense. <laughs> right. Those and I agree. Yes, keys, it, right? Those, those are the master keys. I like to say, though, there's a huge gap between the common sense of it and the common practice. As we said before, only 23% of people seem to have made that shift into actually doing it. So yeah, so basically at a high, high level, I mean, connection is all about how do you build a relationship? Because at its core, leadership is not that job title and the position of power. It is a relationship between a person no who leads and no a person question. who and the person who chooses to follow. And that following is a choice in this day and age, especially because let's face it, between LinkedIn and Glassdoor. We know where the grass is greener. If we want to no go question. somewhere else, yep. we're gone. In fact, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says the median tenure of workers today, age 25 to 34, is only 2.8 years. Wow. So the fact is, what is the compelling reason for people to stay with you? And the number one reason people say they'd leave their job is because they're not learning and growing. So all of which to say is we need to create a connection, a connection. So that's the first one. The next one is around communication. And the, everyone knows that communication can be challenging. Sure. And I think what separates out great, strong leaders from others is they recognize that the goal of communication is not communicating. The goal of communication is creating shared, accurate understanding. And the reason that's so important is because shared understanding becomes the solid platform on which you stand to take all future action. Let's face it. If you have a solid foundation of understanding, you have great opportunity to make the best decisions to create the best results. No question. However, yep. if you're walking around with, you know, a half-baked platform, like I'm totally mixing my metaphors here, by the way, <laughs> half-baked platform. Yep. Um, yeah. If you, you know, you get it though. If you walk, yeah. if you're standing on a platform of misunderstanding, you're going to make poor decisions. You're going to get poor results. So what great leaders do is they recognize that actually the default setting for human communication is misunderstanding and misunderstanding. So they, they do whatever they can to make sure that people are on the same page because we, we happens so, so often. Confusion is way more common than clarity. In fact, in my research, I found that um, 46% of US employees say they waste an average of 40 minutes a day trying to decipher unclear or confusing instructions. I mean, blow wow. your mind, right? Wow. Crazy. So that's communication. Yep. And then collaboration is really about, so once we have, and obviously these are all interrelated. So once we have the connection, once we have the communication, how do we work together well? And as you probably know, as it comes to employee engagement, only about 15% of employees worldwide are 
fully engaged at work. So there's some work to be done there for sure. And so the thing for leaders is that, you know, we can't make anyone else collaborate. Like you're going to be motivated, darn it. Um, (laughs) Which kind of goes, that's the old command and control model. And so what I think of this is that leaders today need to be what I'll call these choice architects. This is a phrase, by the way, that comes from behavioral economics. And the idea behind it, yeah, the, the idea behind it is that while we can't make anyone else do things, we can create an environment that will gently nudge them in a certain direction. So a classic example from behavioral economics is if you want to get people to eat smaller portions of food, if you serve the food on smaller plates, they oh. will eat less because it appears because it takes up more it of surface area. Full. Exactly, which is crazy because you'd think, oh, it's the same amount. It is, but we don't see it that way. We're not as rational as we think we are. So that's an example from behavioral economics. So here's an example in the workplace. Okay, okay. so okay. You, you, want, you want to have a highly energized meeting. You want your people to come up with great ideas and solve problems so you can do business. Everyone wants that. Cool. So how many of us <laughs> have had the experience of sitting in a meeting whether it's on a Zoom call or in person, wherever it was before all this started. And that meeting has gone on and now we're between hours two and hours three and we have not yet taken a break, right? And at this point, your brain is about to bump out of your head because it's crazy, right? So, okay. So that means that humans have a general need for energy. And so what are you as a leader doing? (laughs) What are you doing as a leader to make sure that people are energized? In fact, I was just talking with a group on Tuesday uh, I was helping them around how important it is to build resilience right sure. now in the middle of this p- pandemic. And one of the biggest things they're saying is that by one in the afternoon, they are fried, right. you know, because they've been on Zoom so calls for like four day. hours. That's right. And what it is, and it's, of course, the eight o'clock meeting ends at nine, the nine o'clock meeting ends at 10, the 10 o'clock meeting, back to back. And I, and I said, here's a radical idea. Why don't you change the default settings for your meeting? So they're 25 minutes or 50 minutes and you have a buffer. <laughs> Right. And it's so funny because, again, it's common sense, but they go, oh, my gosh, what a great idea. It's like, And here's the thing. As a leader, you don't have to be the leader of the meeting to suggest that, right? I can be sure. a participant and say, hey, you know what? I'm, and you can be smart about it. You, can, you don't have to say, this is stupid. That won't go over well. You can say, hey, I was just thinking. I imagine a lot of other people are feeling this as well, but it would really help me out if we could do our meeting so there are 50 minutes because I know that. I could use a buffer. I imagine other people, what do you think? Right? So again, you're now managing up. You're now leading the leaders to make a more optimal environment. So collaboration is all around looking at what the basic human needs are and finding better ways to meet that so that people can be at their best and then perform at their best. Got it. Well, I I love the, and it's three C's, right? Easy to remember. Um, Another thing you said in the book was that many leaders share a common trait they're mainly focused on what they were doing, but not so much focused on how they were doing it. And I think this one is interesting because it links to each of those three areas you just talked about. Um, talk about and unpack this idea for us. Yeah. So if we think about this, people are focused on what they do versus how they do it. And this can be across connections like, oh, I have a meeting. And so most of us have been most of us have been trained in the skill or the industry that we're in, right? So let's say I'm in in accounting. So I know about accounting and I lead a team of accountants. And I'm talking when I'm talking about the what, I'm talking about the work product that we're getting done. What I forget as a leader is I don't care if you're in the accounting business or you're in pharmaceuticals or it doesn't really matter. You're all first and foremost, you're in the people business. Don't forget that you're working with no other question. people. Exactly. Right. So so what we have to realize is that 
as much attention as we focus on the content, the what, we have to think about the how, the process. So for example, and we all see this, where we have people who are very smart, subject matter experts, and they come in with their 77-slide PowerPoint deck. <laughs> and you know, yeah. we've seen this, right? I've and they're seen like, it whoa, many whoa. times. <laughs> of course, you've experienced it. And you're like, oh my gosh, you're so smart. And if only someone stopped you and went, okay, the point of this is not about you sharing information that's communicating. The point is you want to have people walk away with understanding and be inspired to take action. So if that is the case of your 77 amazing points, what are the top three that you can focus on and get rid of the other 74? And then how do you use storytelling and connection to bring those three to life in a way that people want to continue to listen, understand, and take action? So this is where we get into the performing art of all this. So for me, that's the huge shift from being focused on the what to understanding we're in the people business. Let's focus on the how. Got it. I love that. Um, as people are reading your book and obviously consuming the master keys, um, what are a couple of key takeaways you'd want our audience to know from the book um, or things that they should be thinking about that they would get um, you know, as they finish up your your content and, and are looking to apply it. I think that's the main thing. Is like, how do you take concepts and then make them applicable? Right? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I'm so keen on that because I've spent you know I kind of cut my teeth in this all right. training, and I, and I realize exactly. it's not just about talking. It's not about the class. It's about what are you going to do tomorrow. So exactly. the good news is the book is broke. Like every all the concepts of connection, communication, collaboration all get broken down to specific behaviors. In fact, at the end of every chapter, there is a chapter checklist of these are the key behaviors we covered. How can you start to apply them? And just because they're on a page doesn't mean anything's going to happen. Right. So, no so what, I would, what I would suggest, because all this can feel really overwhelming, I'm a huge believer in the power of small wins. Mm. So whether it is the tool, you know, and there's dozens of tools around connection, around communication, collaboration, I don't care which one you pick first, but pick one, commit to it, and get started. Take action. And you, you may be familiar with James Clear, who's written his book, Atomic Habits. He's, sure. It's a bestseller. So I read, I think, I don't know where he got this idea from, but I'm going to credit James Clear on this one because I certainly didn't make it up. But this <laughs> idea of, let's say you want to start flossing your teeth. Like, oh, you know, I know my dental hygienist says I need to floss my teeth. Start with flossing one tooth. Commit one, not your whole mouth, but just one. So again, <laughs> we tend to we, we tend to get really excited and overestimate how much we can get done in a day, but we underestimate how much we can build with compounding over the course of a year or two. Oh, interesting. So to me, it's really about starting with small Gotta wins, with flossing something. that yep. something small. And also, their data is your friend. So whether that's your own data around the intention or what you're doing, and this is my other big, big tip for anyone who's really interested in developing themselves as a leader is reach out to people who will give you honest, constructive feedback about what you do well, and especially what are things that you could do even better moving forward. And don't just seek out one or two people, and especially not your puppy and your, and your mom, who are going to <laughs> tell, tell you that they look good. <laughs> everything, oh, I love you, baby. I love yeah. you. No, yeah, exactly. That's fine. You actually want to find out people job. who, yeah, of course, everything's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so you, you want to find out. You really want to talk to them and get, you know, you want the honest truth because you need to learn to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That is the place of growth. And so the mm, more that you can that. do that, the more, I won't say comfortable, but the more familiar the discomfort gets. 
Um, so to me, I have to say, I surrounded myself with people who started telling me stuff. And I have to say, when the ninth person says, hey, Alain, you know, you tend to come across really driven and kind of steamroll over people on the team. When the ninth person says that to you, it's kind of hard to say, oh, that's just your thinking. I had to start looking at the math and going, hmm, nine <laughs> against one, nine against right. one. You know, we tend to be very lousy judges of our own behavior. No Other people are much more effective. So that's the number two thing, right? So number one, take little, you know, floss one tooth. Yes. Number, number two is get feedback from people and then tell them that you're working on it, right? Don't try to do this yeah, invite them in, a, part of in, it, though, in right? a vacuum. Exactly. Which leads to number three, which is really wherever you're at in your career, whether it's just you want to grow as a leader or whether you're an entrepreneur who is looking to start out or is growing, ask for help. I think so many of us have this ego. I mean, I'll just give you an example sure. for myself. So this book just launched on March 24th of this year, 2020. <laughs> yep. And this is, this is my first book. And there are a lot of people out there that I admire and respect. And I have reached out and made all sorts of asks. And some people have not had the time of day to email me back, but some people have. Sure. So I, I, I'm convinced at this point, after doing all the work on whether it's getting on podcasts or getting book endorsements, 80% of life is following up with people. No question. <laughs> really, you know, so ask for help, follow up. And then when people offer you help, be concise. Know what is the one or two things that you want out of this 15-minute conversation and then find ways to A, respect their time. And if there's a way that you can help them in some way, do so. So for example, this, you know, one of the Thinker 50 number one coaches spent some time with me before I met with her. I was on a few other podcasts sure. and I recommended her to be a podcast guest. So I'm oh, looking for good. how can I continue to add value to others? Because I think the tendency for many of us in this kind of startup phase is what do I have to offer? Well, there's probably something that you can offer, you know, and if nothing else, a really gracious thank you yes, and being really of considerate course. of people's times of course. is huge. So, that. so that's number three. So number, number one, floss your tooth, <laughs> one tooth. Number two, ask for feedback. And number three is ask for help. Those, I love those that. Are my big, those are yeah. some great takeaways. I yeah, one of the on that first one, one of the things I do is I I make a list of things and then I try throughout the months and weeks and over the year to like knock some of those out so that it almost builds personal momentum and that's the way that I do it. I don't know. It it's it works. I love it. Yeah. I, exactly. It's all about building momentum because you know our biggest critic at least for me is myself. Exactly. And so and and that totally voice. derails yeah, der derails me. Um all right. Share with our listeners where they can find you, how they can connect with you. I downloaded your book on i on iTunes, on iBooks, but where can others connect with you and, and have you come speak and, and everything? Yeah. So easiest way to find me, because my name is a little tricky, is uh, the book has its own website. <laughs> and the book's website is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. While you're there, you so can easy. learn all about the book. You can also download the first chapter and preview the book in advance. So you can check that out right yep. there. That page is connected to my alainhunkins.com website, where you can learn all about the work that I do. And I, again, work with individuals as well as teams and organizations. And depending on the day, it could look like speaking or coaching or consulting or training, but it's all <laughs> under the umbrella of helping people, yep. helping people become better leaders. You can connect with me on LinkedIn as well. And if you've listened this far, you are now part of the end of the podcast club. <laughs> 
which means that you can email me directly. I'm going to give you my direct email address, it. which is alain at alainhunkins.com. And if you have any questions about anything leadership oriented, I do respond to every single one of those emails. Unless you troll me, in which case I'll just ignore you. <laughs> I will spell um, your name for them though. A-L-A-I-N, alain Hunkins. Yes. So Yes, at alainhunkins.com. Thank you for spelling that. Yes, it's the bane of my existence. Thank you. It's all good, right? I think I got it right. Um Dude, you, this is so cool. I, I'm excited about your content. Again, for those listening that you guys know, there's tons of leadership content out there. And I just love the angle that you've taken on this. And so um, I really appreciate you spending time with us. I can't wait to hear how the book goes. And I, my guess is this won't be the last book. Um, there probably will be a follow up that <laughs> you're going to have going pretty quickly. So we'll have to get you back on. Oh, I'd love that, Justin. It, this has been such a pleasure talking with you. I mean, it's been super great and probably the most fun I've had all week. <laughs> I hope so. Hey, and it's a Friday, so that means it's a good thing. Hey, exactly. I appreciate you being on, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.